Hello and welcome to the One Big Podcast. Here again for another great episode. I'm your host, fellow worker Jason. I'm joined by fellow worker Derek. Say hello, Derek. Hey, everybody. And also joined by fellow worker Lily, also of our branch. Say hi, Lily. Hi. Okay, today we're talking about an episode you just heard because they're going to go up co- concurrently. Is that the word? Yeah, I think that's the word. Uh, are, are you saying at the same time? One right after the other. It's probably consecutively. Cool. That word. I'm a writer. Uh, and uh, We're going to be talking about the um, recap, review, uh, breakdown of the Kellogg strike that we had. It's a talk Lily put together with a worker from the union out there at Kellogg's in Battle Creek. Talk about their strike, how they think it went, and that kind of thing. We're going to kind of take some selected clips from it and uh, discuss it. First off, before we get really into it, I know I went out there, and I know Lily went out there. Derek, did you ever get out there? No, I never went out there. Okay, yeah, it was an interesting time. I'd love to hear about your experiences out there um, first. Why did you get involved? Uh, uh, When you were out there, what was it like? Was it like your first time being on a strike picket line kind of thing? Yeah, my it was my first time being out on any picket line. Um, that was kind of why I went there. Like one of the primary goals was to just see what uh, a strike is like. Um, if I'm going to be active in helping people from unions and um, and all that jazz, I'm going to have to know what I'm getting them into. Um, so yeah, it was it was a bit. Of, you know, it's a very interesting experience. Um, I think they were also kind of learning as they went as well. Um, but for for the most part, you know, what they were doing is they were set up uh, a couple locations, uh, holding their signs, waving at cars that honked as they went by, you know, honked in support. Uh, and that was most of like our most of our responsibilities uh, on the strike line. Uh yeah, I know. I only went out. I think one night, fully. I stopped by a few times where, um, to like drop stuff off. But I um went out there because I was like, oh, you know, they'll probably not have that many people out in the middle of the night, and that's when I'm awake. So I'll go out there. Uh, and it was interesting. They had like a real nice setup on the tent, like to keep themselves warm and stuff. Because it was it was winter. Well, it still is winter. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, a lot of um. At least on the midnight shift, I learned uh, a lot. On the midnight shift, there was a lot of a uh, masculine energy, which you know might be off-putting. But I, I've grown up in those kind of situations, working in factories, that kind of thing. So I felt right in. Um, but you know, it was a fun time. Uh, you know, like you said, just waving at cars that honked and uh, yelling at buses full of scabs. That was about about the extent of it. Yes, just yelling, nothing else. Yeah, I definitely didn't. Do anything else, officer. <laughs> so yeah, we want to go through some of these clips here and uh, talk about what, uh, t- just kind of generally discuss them amongst ourselves. Uh, well, I mean, before before we move on, I would also like to hear a little more about like just your experiences of of like the the, the workers that were out there a little bit. So, mm-hmm. like, who did you meet? What were like? Did, did did you have any interesting conversations? What 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 were their dispositions? Their 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 happy places? Their fears? You know, like 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 spill some tea here. What what was happening on the picket line? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely get the feeling, and Donovan brings this up as well. I get the feeling that for a lot of these people, um, it was 
out of anger. Like they were fed up with the way that the company was treating them and they were not, um, you know, they were ready to fight against that. Um, so I think in, in some ways that's what a lot of people were doing was like getting out all this frustration that's been building up. Yeah. Well, like what, like, like what were, like, what were people experiencing? Like, like, like what, what were some of their anxieties or, or their concerns were, were, you know, because, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear a little bit more about it. And if you hear, and if you listen to the whole, the whole sort of interview that, that we did the conversation with Donovan, there's a sense that I had that, that there was, there was a moment, for example, when, you know, energy really waned. Uh, and there was, there were moments where energy was really big. You know, one of my favorite stories, it made me tear up a little bit, was like listening to Donovan talk about what it was like the first day of the strike, right? Like walking out onto the picket line with everybody and the energy and just seeing everybody out there on the picket line. And then, and then as you listen along, you can sort of feel like that energy has waned a little bit so what what was it what was it like talking to people what did they think yeah I think the first couple times I went uh they were still pretty energized um they were you know ready to keep fighting um but uh, and, and as well I this was around the time of Halloween uh the first time I went there was the Halloween weekend and the tennis was pretty low and I was like, um, I was asking questions about that. And for a lot of people, it was the first holiday that they got to spend with their families in years uh, without getting punished for it. So a lot of people were rightly taking advantage of that. Um, you also had a lot of public support at that time. Uh, like DSA was sending out pizzas and Bernie Sanders campaign was was sending them food as well. So they were feeling really uh, awesome about the support from the, the wider country. But also as time went on, I noticed a few of the people that I had met, I was seeing them less and less often. They were, when they were there, they were less energetic and it was more, it was more of a slog. They were just trying to get through. I think you you kind of see that kind of thing going on uh, when you have a long extended strike because it is a war of attrition and it seemed that the workers were uh, feeling the the hurt. Uh, a lot of them were getting other jobs, uh, and obviously, if you're working a job, you're probably not at the picket line. So, yeah, we can later discuss on those types of things, but. You could definitely feel the energy draining over time, especially when the uh, threats of like firing everyone. Um, I mean, Battle Creek seemed to be rather uh, unfazed by that, but I think the other locals were really feeling that fear. And what about what about you, Jason? Did you what, what were your impressions of like the attitudes and the feelings out there on the line when you were able to make it out? Well, for me, it's a little different just because, you know, I was there out at like 3 a.m. So energy's never there at 3 a.m. Um, without, for most people, stimulants. So uh, <laughs> uh, for me, it was just a lot of uh, what I do at any job, you know, sitting around telling funny, bad work stories about how our bosses are dumb or how like customers suck or that kind of thing. Um, and just, you know, talk about 
what they were trying to get out of the strike, you know, I was just trying to understand what was going on from like the, you know, horse's mouth kind of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned mostly that they were out there for, um, to, uh, just get rid of this two age system and just kind of like out of spite because their bosses have been treating them so poorly for years and years. They're like, you know what? Yeah. I don't want to work for you for a while. And yeah, they were very, uh, upset when, um, people would call them greedy because a lot of them, like 70% of them were not seeing any benefit from the strike. They were fighting for the lower tier, uh, mm-hmm. employee, the, what they call, um, transitional. Yeah. They call them transitional employees. Um, so you have these legacy employees out there fighting for that and they're being called greedy. Like they, they just, uh, are furious about that idea. You know, they're not fighting, uh, for themselves, uh, at all. And now, Lily, there's also something else, you know, that Donovan really talked about that I thought was, um, I mean, there are many things he talked about, but one of the things that he mentioned very early on was about how he met you and, and, and how, you know, he came in on a shift and you were the only person out in the picket line. Like, how did that come about exactly that you were the only person on the picket line? Uh, and, (laughs) and like, what was that? What was that like? Yeah. So I would, um, this there was kind of a shift that went from I don't know two to five or so, another shift that went five till eight, and that five to eight time period was like very um, thin, you know, that was like the weakest time. So then this one day I come around that time I'm hungry I asked them the people the, the workers that were there there were two workers at the time you know I, hey I'll go pick up Taco Bell if you guys want anything, and. So I go pick up Taco Bell, I come back and both of them are gone. And it's just me with a party pack of Taco Bell and uh, two <laughs> bird girls. Uh, so I, I decided, okay, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to hold the line. I'm not going to abandon this. And I was expecting a, at least one more worker to show up. So thank God Donovan it did eventually. But I was at least going to sit and enjoy the fire, eat my tacos. <laughs> Um, I just think this is so yeah. I think the one of the workers probably their shift ended, and I think the other one had a family. Uh, they had to go pick up their kid or something. Uh, you know, understandable reasons, but it, it it is unfortunate that it ended up with the picket line being completely unattended. Uh, all the, you know, all the supplies were there. You know, you can imagine a more malicious employer going in. I don't know, doing something to that stuff employer sabotage so so i guess the question i have about that is how late into the strike was this was this scene i think it was november yeah it was late november so it was getting pretty cold yeah it was getting cold um people were getting like people's wallets were getting tight and and that shift that five to eight shift i think you said it was I don't know if that's the exact time, but roughly that time. And was that shift like historically underpopulated or was that like something that you noticed emerge over time? Uh, It was always, it was always a bit thinner. So I would come in around two, uh, two, three, four, and there could be, you know, maybe six, six or eight workers there. And then I don't know if it was six or seven, but around then a lot of people would leave and there would be maybe two workers 
and then me and if someone else was with me so it would be you know two workers and two strike support people so it was like a often thin which is also interesting because that's around the time that scab buses come in so if you're going to do any action related to the buses that's not the time you want the picket line to be thin right yeah one of the things donovan said um and this kind of relates uh that they hadn't um been on strike as a union for several decades now um and so you know they had to kind of relearn it you know they had to figure out how to do a strike all over again um which can be difficult and which can lead to things like you know unmanned shifts and uh uh not knowing what you know what exactly you can do what you need to go on strike uh and the communication uh breakdowns that happen when you're not organized enough um but also you know i don't want to say not organized enough because like they're they're very well organized but they had to relearn everything yeah they had to relearn everything and you had to like plan for things you don't know can go wrong like you know i wouldn't like i can't i'm trying to build tables right now for our branch and i'm like trying to plan it out but i've never built a table before so definitely stuff's gonna go wrong you know and this is just on a bigger scale it's not just a table it's a whole strike (laughs) what kinds of things do you need to go on strike and like what did they have to relearn so that night um me and a couple of my coworkers from second shift we all decided to meet at a bar down the street Mm-hmm. And we waited Donovan's. because we weren't sure if we were going to get the call that um, that we were going to go on strike that night. But we think they all would be able to go. So what happened is they waited until and many people out there. I think I have some video I probably can send. And, this is the part know, of We, we walked down the driveway. Yeah. So they walk out and we're walking up with our sign and our union starts going. We're proud, you know. And, you know, we, we walked down the driveway as a unit, and it was so many cars out there and so many people out there. I think I have some video I'll probably can send to you guys, but it's so many people out there. And we all just, once that once the clock hit 1 o'clock, or I believe it was 1 o'clock, once the, once the clock hit, we all walk in. And at that same time, we, you can start to see all the people walking down the hallways through the windows, you can see them walking out the hallways and then they come out the door. And we're standing out there in front of Tony the tar- Tiger and, you know, we're chanting and we're getting them going. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, this moment, this moment right here for the 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 for those six attendance points that I got for my grandmother's funeral, for the endless days that we would get forced over and have to work the 16-hour workday um, when we thought we were going home after that first eight, for the treatment that we had seen on so many occasions, like this was the 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 punch in the face that we were delivering to the catalog company. And it was it was gratifying and that's the understatement. Um Yeah. I I so I love I love this description. And it's like I know we, this isn't the question that I was looking to answer here, but I'm just going to talk about it for a second. Like I, I love this segment of it and I don't know, I don't know if either of you have ever been part of like, like big collective actions like this, but I remember once at Eastern Michigan university during one of my first contract negotiations there, 
um, there was this, there was this moment where we were trying to like completely restructure how, like, like how the institution ranked lecturers. Cause it was this garbage system where you could just be let go next year. There was no job security. And we had this great package that we were fighting for to like really, to really get implemented. And they had been fighting us tooth and nail all summer long. And so we had this big event where we brought in our members, where we brought in the community, uh, where we brought in other activists that wanted to come in and support us. And and we came in on student move-in day, right? Like this day that was supposed to be students welcome to campus. And we were going to go out into the campus to talk to students. We're going to help them move in because who doesn't who doesn't who, who doesn't need a little bit of help lifting boxes? Help them move in, have a conversation about the shitty labor the shitty labor relationship that Eastern Michigan University had and continues to have with all of its staff. Uh, and then we were going to march over into the bargaining room and fill that room with angry frustrated people who were sick of being treated like crap and were sick of people in their community being treated like crap. And that moment when I met those folks out in front of the student center was like powerful. And it's, it's these crystal moments in organizing and labor organizing where you know how much power you have. You can, you can literally see it. And and there is nothing like workers who come out to these things and experience these things like they get it. I have I have I'm sure they exist, but I have never met somebody who went to one of these like effectively done like like job actions and walked away being like, no, nah, we don't have any power. Right. Because it's a powerful moment. You can feel it palpable. You can feel it palpable in the air with the people you're talking to. And the administration gave us everything we wanted before those people even got to the bargaining room, right? We dispersed them across campus to do what we said we were going to do. We're going to have conversations with students and help them move in. And then the bargaining team went back into the bargaining room and we told the we told them exactly what was happening, exactly what was coming next. And and within within, I think. I might be exaggerating. It's been five years now since that happened, but within within a couple of hours, I'm going to say we had basically everything we had asked for, and, and that was they did not want us to do that. They wanted to call everybody off. They wanted us to pull the entire thing and just stop it. And that's the power of collective action. Now sustaining that for for weeks, I don't know that I could have done that. Like that's 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 the piece here that I find so interesting about BCTGM um, is how you know you went from this high point of energy, and then how do you sustain that over the long haul? And they obviously had some difficulties along the way. Yeah, it makes me think about the um, miners in Alabama that are on strike for their eleventh month. <laughs> like, man, that's well done. Like, keep it up. It's rough. It's rough. Yeah, I have nothing like that in my life. Uh, the closest I have is like being on stage and making the audience sing along to a song. But it feels cool, right? It felt pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Derek, um, you you bring that up, and I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind for any uh, labor organizers to keep uh, to keep in mind when they're trying to to get people involved and and to get their union to to a place of success. A union is not the negotiators. The union is not the bureaucracy. The union is these actions like that. 
that's how you get people to see the power in the in the union. That's how you get things done. Um, so you want to show people, like make people feel powerful because they are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and that, that 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 that's exactly right. And when we look at the campaigns that we're engaged in, like we talk to organizers sometimes, and and th they always want to push for a card for a card campaign. I'm not going to stop a card campaign, but it's like the thing that I always tell people is, yes, a card campaign after workers realize how much power they have. Because if workers don't realize how much power they have, and it's just it's just you and seven of your coworkers of your fellow workers in a bargaining room, and there is nobody banging on the walls outside, you don't have power. You have bureaucracy. And and the law is not going to come in and give you a favorable contract. The workers banging on the walls outside are what is going to give you a favorable contract every single time. It is what is going to get you any major gains in your workplace, whether you want a contract or you want to fix a problem. Uh, one of the big problems, though, is building that momentum up. And and there isn't there isn't like there isn't a secret. There isn't a kernel's secret recipe uh to to make that happen what jason you know i thought i'd just drop a little you know we aren't endorsed by kfc but you know maybe 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 they'll let us come in and unionize their workplace yeah hey any uh kfc workers talk to us <laughs> that's right threaten to reveal the 23 herbs and spices <laughs> all right all right how do people endure that whole thing the whole process Okay, now as far as a morale standpoint, we we when we say morale, we have to look at it um in two parts, okay? You have morale as far as if people are wanting to go back into work and willing to cross the picket line, and then you have morale as if people are going to show up for the picket line. Now, initially we came out with a lot of steam uh, we made sure to set up a family day fairly quickly. So we got a lot of people out. We barbecued. Um, we got donations from a, another local union that donated um, like 500 pounds of hamburger, um, like hot dogs, stuff, beef hot dogs, stuff like that. So we grilled out. We had to blow up jumpy houses, um, stuff like that. And we little goodie bags for the kids. So we um we did that initially within like the first two weeks um and like i say every day it almost felt like a party initially because people come out they bring their bluetooth speakers out their um karaoke and they be singing and we grill out every day but you can only grill out for so long you're gonna get tired of eating <laughs> you can only grill out for so long you can only grill out for so long people tell me that about eating pizza but i think they're wrong mm. i get pizza forever i believe i actually i know that about you yeah i'm a teenage mutant ninja turtle <laughs> wow i'm gonna play a little bit more of this because i think this is like the this is the this is like the energy part of how you sustain it a little bit so i'm gonna let it go on a little bit more are you good yeah uh stuff off the grill you know what i mean but like i said it fed us it fed us for so many days and you know people would just contribute everybody puts in you put in 10 bucks 20 bucks and everybody on the picket line on that shift got to eat that day, you know. Um, now, eventually, the rain comes. And when the rain comes, the rain is going to get some. So some people won't come out, you know. 
But some people are built for it. Like we 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 do what we call a twenty eight and three at work um, every month, where we have to clean and you like you you get dirty, you get wet. So like these adverse conditions, we kind of get used to dealing with them. So what do you do? You go out, you buy the the rain gear, you buy the waterproof pants, or if it gets cold, you and you know you get good at manning a fire. You you know you you figure it out and um like the tents and stuff like that. Fortunate enough, we had people who were skilled enough to put up tents and shelter so that um, we didn't necessarily have to worry about it. I'm not a person who is too familiar with putting up shelter or tents and stuff like that. But those that were, they came out and they, they put the structures in place. They tied them down. We had a lot of tents that were destroyed by the wind that came through there. Uh, Kellogg's must have paid to get that wind, <laughs> to get that wind set up because you you be out there and then you come back. I like that quote, by the way. I think actually this kind of ties into um, not knowing how to organize the strike after 39 years is the answer is you just figure it out. The, the only way you're going to figure it out is by doing it and getting out there and being like, all right, what can you do? You can pitch tents. Cool. You know how to start a fire. Show everybody how to start a fire. So every shift knows how to start a fire. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, it's one of those things that I run into a lot with, um, people, friends of mine where like people are always amazed or not amazed, but they're always like kind of shocked by me, like knowing, like uh, being a jack of all trades or like, like, Oh, I want to try this. Oh, I try this. And then I go and try it. Uh, whereas a lot of people I know are too anxious to like, like even start trying cause they, Oh, I don't know how to do that. Well, the only way you figure it out is if you go and do it and you figure it out and figure out if it's for you or not. And I think not having the institutional knowledge of how to do a strike is like, all right, well, it's been done. Like people can do this. So we just got to figure this out. You know, maybe read up on it, watch some videos, look at historical examples, and then just get out there and see what happens. Yeah. I think like you, you see the same thing uh, uh, in, I don't know if you ever had a power outage in your area, um, but I always felt like that was the moment of like seeing the community actually function as a community, you know, Oh, you have a generator. Um, great. Like, can you like, you know, help power my fridge so my food doesn't go bad or Hey, my, you know, I have all this stuff. Like I'm just going to cook up extra food. You know, you, you see in times of crisis, this, this capitalist myth of, I have to, I'm only going to do something if it benefits me directly personally. Uh, you see that crumble when you actually see people taking care of each other. You know, so in this in the strike, you see the community come together. You see the workers contributing what they can. People with pickup trucks grabbing wood. People who know how to start fires. People who know how to put up tents. Know how to put up tents. Yeah, all, all these all these different skills that you bring to the table. People just pitch in. But I think there are a few things that are specific to the strike planning uh, and labor actions that you do need the practice for, and you do lose after after not having done it for for decades and said people with the knowledge moving on and retiring. Yeah. I I'm old enough to remember when um, all of the Northeastern U S went out power wise for like a week and a half or two weeks. And uh, we had a big barbecue on our street just cause like, <laughs> oh, all the food's going to go bad. Yeah. Did you get tired of it? I don't really remember. I was very young, but I it wasn't remember... pizza. So it wasn't pizza. Yeah. That's the thing. 
<laughs> no, but I do think I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Lily. It, it, it does strike me that, you know, earlier in the conversation, Donovan talks a bit about which gates that they guarded. How many people did they put in the back, for example? Um, what was what was it like to build a strike shift, for example? All of these things are they like like they might seem obvious in some ways, especially in retrospect, but as you're sort of building out the logistics, you know, when we're talking about when, when we in the, when we in the branch do organizing and we create, okay, here's the campaign, right? We're going to march on the boss. We're going to issue our demands. Um, it's, it's not, it's not like that just happens organically. Like you don't, you, you, you don't get typically speaking, you don't get a mob of pitchfork torch bearing people to go after Frankenstein's monster. That just, it isn't the way it typically happens. Uh, there are, there are strike captains to help lead chants. There are like, what are the discrete tasks, right? Breaking it down. Who's going to be where, who's going to be where, when, who's bringing food, who's bringing wood, who's bringing tents, who's collecting money, making, making the runs, who's going to be in the back to make sure the scab bus doesn't get in under the cover of darkness. Uh, who's doing communications with the media? Who's our, who's our media? Who's our, who are our media people? Um, who are the people who are keeping morale up or, and, and, you know, Donovan talks about this as well, how there, there were a lot of people who left and got jobs, right? A lot of people left and didn't strike. They went off and got a, like a backup job for all sorts of reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but still like, how do you, how do you get out there and maintain the energy amongst everybody? Because every single person you lose on the picket line is a body you don't have preventing scabs from coming in, um, not running to get wood, not running to get food, not walking the line, not singing the songs, not telling the stories. And, and I would actually add one more thing, not sharing in the collective struggle of, of the moment, right? There's a, there's a great book that I'm not going to quote the name of. It's like, it's like beaten down and rising up, but that's not the right name. I, I, I keep forgetting that I've got it lying on my house somewhere. Um, and, and there are like, there are all these stories in there about how, like the old school legacy workers who have been through all the strikes and all this shit, right? And and they walk up to workers and are like, well, we gave you the weekend and we gave you 40-hour work weeks. And the worker's like, oh, okay, thanks, I guess. But that worker wasn't there to share in that struggle, first of all. Also, in most places, those workers are actually probably working overtime now and working the weekend, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> but 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 the point is, is that worker wasn't there to share in their effective struggle. You can educate them all you want about like what it was like to be there. And for me personally, listening to Donovan talk about like walking out with workers is very powerful because I've seen it and I've been there and I've experienced it and I can kind of imagine it and breathe it in. But like if you lack an imagination or you aren't there or you aren't super invested right now like that's just a story and it's it's a good story and it might send chills up your spine in some cases it might but also how does that connect to you how does that connect to what you're doing right now so making sure that you have workers that are a part of that struggle a part of that moment is so important um the IBEW for you know whatever faults that they may have Generally speaking, when the IBEW goes on strike, your workers don't 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 go get second jobs. The IBEW 
um, you know, can fine union members. It can it can penalize um, members. You are showing up for a strike shift. It's not a question of will you. It is a question of which shift are you taking, uh, and that is you know the collective power that they move forward with. And so when you've gone several decades, forty nine years without a union struggle, without a strike of this magnitude, yeah, you're definitely going to lose some of those. Right discrete tasks and the understanding of why it's so important to have those pieces in place. So I, I think Donovan brings this up, um, but it's easy to think of a strike as just withholding labor and that's it. Uh, like he, he mentions, he makes a distinction between people who have morale to go onto the picket line and people who have the morale to maybe stay home or maybe get another job, but not going back to Kellogg's, which I think is kind of, I mean, you know, I love them, but I think it's kind of doing a disservice to, uh, to the actual value of that, the relationships that you get, uh, that shared experience, uh, that shared struggle, as you say, Derek. And I think we need to think about, about that a lot more in our union uh, like efforts, a lot of unions are viewing it purely transactionally. Uh, you know, if is your, you know, I think the UAW I've heard, uh, I don't know if this is recent, but the view of we're paying you to stay home, and that's that's not what uh, BTTGM uh, did. They they paid you if you went on the picket line, but if you stayed home, you didn't get anything. But at least you weren't their enemy. I mean. If you view it just transactionally, you're not getting, you're not going to make ends meet with a hundred dollars a week stipend. That's barely, maybe going to cover the gas to get you there and back, uh, maybe, <laughs> but not much else, uh, if that. So yeah, we, yeah. I think we need to consider what the point of the strike is, and not just in terms of the employer, but also the workers. One in that clip, he was talking about community people uh, sending in stuff and like you know showing up and stuff. Um, and I know later on in the talk, he talks a lot about how they couldn't have got through it without the community and how he was worried about, you know, how Battle Creek as a city would respond and that kind of thing. I think uh, those kind of bridges, like, you know, the IWW showing up to something that isn't theirs and then, you know, the strike trailer that they've put together uh, for future strikes to like loan out for people. Um, that kind of community building is like the most important aspect of like the relearning they've done is like oh we, we can't just do this ourselves you know what i mean like if the city isn't with us if other unions aren't with us if labor as a whole doesn't act together it gets it weakens us significantly you know and plus that's a great sustaining tool um you know like you know you talk about trying to sustain something for a couple months it's great if you know well you know not only do i have the people also at this job site on my side but everybody that's passing us by is on our side all these people that sent us food are on our side. All the people not buying Kellogg's stuff is on our side. You know, that's a big morale boost to know other people are on your side. Let's talk about what they got out of the strike and kind of the end result. They mainly struck to get rid of the two-tier system, which they didn't win. Um, I think they got it like a less severe version of the same system. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of um, a mixed bag. Uh, they one of the things that they wanted was a clear way for those transitional workers to move on to legacy, which they kind of got. They 
take a defined percentage of the plant's workforce. You know, say you have 100 people, and if the number is 2% or 5%, I don't remember. But if it's 3% for every 100 workers, three transitional employees will get moved up the legacy. So every 100 total workers, three get moved up, right? But at the same time, they removed the cap on these transitional employees. So if the factory doubles in size, if they hire a bunch of people, now there's more transitional employees than uh, legacy. So I think it's, it's obvious why the company was okay with that. Uh, and I understand why the workers made the decision that they did, but it is a very mixed outcome. And it's, it's hard to label it as a straight up victory or a straight up defeat. I mean, obviously it's mostly a learning experience, but they, I mean, they did improve the situation for these transitional employees. I would say that like, at the very least, it showed them what they need for the next strike. So the next time this comes around, they could be way more prepared and like, you know, be like, okay, we, we know what happened last time. We know about how long it took. We knew, you know, here's what we did good. Here's what we did bad. We know people are going to be on our side again. So like, you know, they're more prepared for the next round. Yeah. I'm ready for, I'm ready to throw down in five years. So I hope, <laughs> I hope they're uh, receptive to me showing up. <laughs> well, but I also think that, you know, this is, this is the, like, like, like this is like, this is, this is part of the problem that we have, right? Like, they have scabs coming in and I know that it was a mess. Kellogg was definitely, was definitely below production expectations. Um, but this is a company like, 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 like let's very briefly examine capitalism, right? This is not going to be a deep, a deep <laughs> detailed analysis of like our material reality, but right. You have these workers, uh, like American, American capitalism for the last, like since I was a kid, since like the eighties, basically we have seen, we have seen um, poorly rising wages, but incredibly raising rising profits. Donovan talks in this video also how like the plant was expecting workers to go on strike and had been like building extra production along the way so that they could weather the storm more effectively. So what do you have? You have a company who's been making billions of dollars, workers who have been making thousands of dollars, right? So workers making thousands of dollars, companies making billions of dollars, company plans ahead. Company is thinking these workers are like, they're serious. They're They might go on strike. Let's build up products. So we have things to give stores. The company was really, I feel like prepared for this and, and modern day capitalism has really allowed companies to weather these storms in some ways more effectively than perhaps they could have in the 60s or the 70s. I can't comment much about like the 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 1900s, the teens or the 20s. Um, but there was a point where, you know, CEOs didn't make 300 times more than the average worker. So so now you have these companies that are doing very well. They're very successful. Like a strike action, if your ideal goal is a contract um, that, that secures the rights for your members and your members. And Donovan talks about this too in this, right, where he talks about like, some people were worried. They were getting nervous that they were going to lose some of the great benefits that they have, like the the that like gold tier healthcare plan that they had, um, all these benefits that they've accrued over over the history of the union in their contract, and they're fighting for this like this to get rid of this two tier system, which is which is killing them. The two tier system is killing them as it does every workforce everywhere, and 
And finally, finally, they go on strike about it, but the company is kind of ready for them, right? And, and so, and so now we're at this sort of, this sort of place where the workforce can't sustain itself because it's barely making enough money to sock away cash for a rainy day. Um, the strike fund isn't as big as it needs to be. We don't know what the knowledge, we, we, we don't have the full knowledge of how to conduct a strike. And we're in the bargaining room bargaining for stuff that we've already won in past contracts. And really what we want to change is this two-tier thing, but the company is threatening it all. That's the leverage that a contract gave the employer in that context. And like, I'm not saying that I've got the solution. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that workers marching on the boss, demanding these things, we're going to, we're going to win this either. But, but this is where a contract gets us. And if workers are not fired up, if workers weren't ready to fight this a decade ago, when it was introduced, and I don't know if it was introduced a decade ago, I'm just making shit up, right? But whenever the two system, like whenever that entered the contract to begin with, that was, that was something that they were going to have to fight eventually. And they did. And they were, they were not prepared for it because the system in which they are operating has been, has been advantaging the billionaire employer class for decades upon decades upon decades while eroding every single thing unions have won in contracts. So when push comes to shove, our arsenal is depleted. Our education is gone. Our, our, our 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 money is gone right the, the 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 biggest weapon in capitalism is money and we don't even have that to fall back on our capacity to keep bodies on the picket line and to hurt them as best as we can to make the strike work is just not there and that's the bottom line for any strike action that you're going to have if you're going to strike the company has to feel it the strike is not is not a cure all and and Donovan, I'm I'm getting I'm getting hyper now. I can feel it. It's coming out in my words. I'm going into preacher mode. Um, but the strike is not a cure all. The strike is not a cure all. You, got, you know, yeah, you're you got not to do the thumb thing. You, you do, you, you do. But yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna save the day by itself, especially when companies and these corporations have learned how to weather these storms as effectively as some of them have. And and you've really got to sort of think through exactly how you're going to accomplish this under capitalism um, with the workforce that you have. Can you really sustain a strike for, for six months, um, for four months? And, and what are you going to win when you come out of it? And, and I don't know. Like, again, I'm not saying that I have all the solutions. I wasn't there in the BCTGM administrative boardrooms, membership votes. Um, but like those... Those are the questions that we have to be thinking about as we enact actions like this. Yeah, I think so. You bring up this interesting thing about how these long-term strikes are not, you know, if if we're going to pick our battles that we're fighting as workers, it doesn't make sense to choose a battlefield that's tilted against us. Uh, and I think you see some of these, some of these unions taking different tactics, right? They're taking uh, I think it was the the flight attendants that uh, came up with chaos, uh, and it's exactly what it sounds like. They would they would not all go on strike at the same time. They uh, would, you know, a certain a certain route. You know, one day all 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 of a sudden, with surprise to everybody, all the flight attendants would refuse to work that particular flight, or they would hand out pamphlets 
they would work, but they would hand out uh, pamphlets uh, explaining the demands of the workers and all these various different things that were, were hard for the company to pin down and retaliate against because these workers could be so fluid and nimble. Uh, so I wonder if as, as labor, we can take this because com companies like contracts because they're predictable. They know, okay, we're not gonna get any strikes for five years. And then if they, if they do try to strike, we have the law against, you know, against them. Uh, we have all this backing from the government. And then we can spend these next five years preparing um, for whatever the union is gonna throw at us. Like we can hire all these expensive lawyers, all this stuff. But if the management goes into work one day and all of a sudden none of the workers are there, or they refuse to make Fruit Loops, or you know who who knows what that actually looks like in that particular workplace. But I think it's worth considering a diversity of tactics, uh, and and also the escalation plan. I think that's another thing that was kind of absent from this BCTGM uh, strike, is that their uh, escalation. It seemed to be basically from okay, we're sending people into rooms to negotiate. Oh, that's not working. Okay, let's strike. You know, I think it went very much from, from point A to point B and there was nothing in between. Um, I don't know what those in-between actions look like. Uh, like I, I can't give all the answers, but I think there are different things that we can, we can do. Uh, and I think that's the type of conversations we need to be having in, in union meetings. Any other comment you want to add there, Jason? <laughs> nope. Uh, when I think about it, um, kind of the strike, I, I know some people see the strike as like the last resort, but, um, you know, I'm a bit of a criminal, so it's, for me, it's not the last resort. <laughs> There's always, you know, yeah. you know, going beyond the law. Um, for the record, for this public podcast, I am not in favor of legally. I think, I mean, I think besides like the... <laughs> He explained. Jason, do you want to do you want to reword that possibly? It's all right. I'm already on the list. It's fine. But, I mean, I think besides like the like the obviously illegal things, there's also like you know certain gray areas where it might technically be illegal and you can't specifically endorse it, but sometimes you have to take certain risks. Like technically, it's illegal to to stand on. The, the driveway and do picket lines on, on Keller's driveway. But they, you know, there were people on, on the driveway and on the road. Um, so if you, if you fully let like the letter of the law dictate what you, what you choose to do, then you, you know, the, the law is written to make it difficult for workers, right? The law isn't made to help labor overthrow capitalism or or whatever i mean that'd be convenient yeah but you know at the at the same time you know it certainly would cause the company a lot of damage if someone were to literally drop a wrench into a machine that you know accidentally of course you know which i i would not be surprised i mean you see even scabs doing it like accidental sabotage basically <laughs> they don't know how to drive fork trucks you know when they're working at john deere you know yeah um so I don't know. Without without you know belaboring this for too long, I think I have to ask both of you a question, which is you know was this a successful strike action? Yeah, I'd say for the most part, and 
it depends on what the goal was. You know, if the goal was completely eliminate the two-tier system, then no. But if the goal was to relearn how to do a strike and um, realize, you know, hey, we actually have some power here, then yeah, it was totally successful because all of those people that I talked to on the picket line were very much like, all right, it's the first time doing this. I'm All right, this is how we do it. And like they were gaining knowledge that they didn't have before. And so they will be ready the next time it comes around. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in agreement. It's not a success in terms of the contract, but it is a success in terms of, in addition to that, that gained knowledge, also the public awareness and the community being involved. I think there were a lot of people who, who became aware of all of these struggles, kind of all of a sudden you, you have Striketober uh, and, and all, all these things, um, you know, how, how effective that awareness becomes is kind of up to the organizers. But I think, I think it, at least it brought the strike and unions back into kind of more common discussion and people's awareness. A lot more people are thinking about unions now. A lot more people are, are like, okay with the idea of striking. Uh, not, I mean, not specifically because of Kellogg's, but it definitely contributes to it. But uh, again, in terms of just the straight up what the workers wanted uh, and what they got, it's hard to call it a success. Yeah, that's, I think that's where, I think that's where my mind is. And, Do, you know, Donovan acknowledges as much as well, uh, where he talks a bit about I actually think that Donovan is very, uh, what's sort I'm looking for? He's very frank about this. And, you know, the, the thing is, is power to him. Um, you know, one of the problems I think that trade unions and the IWW, I think that all unions have this problem where we think, one of the things I learned while like learning how to organize was that you can't lie to members, right? You, you can't lie to members. If there's ever going to be an honest broker in a member's life, it's gotta be. It's gotta be fellow workers. It's gotta be organizers. It's gotta be you as a fellow worker out there talking to them. You cannot be a liar. But unions have kind of skirted this line in the last few years, where, and not the last few. I'd say like the last before I was born, right? Like they, they want to project strength. They want to project a sense of strength and a sense of victory, and and. And, and there's like this, this conflation that if we don't project strength and we don't project victory, then we don't have momentum. And my question is, I don't know, do you even have momentum to begin with? And a lot of these unions, they just, they just don't, they don't have momentum. And so, and so like when I, what, what I really liked what Donovan had to say is that he, he gave us an honest take and he basically told us like, we won some things. We didn't win everything we wanted. We still have the two tier system. Um, we have legacy employees who are going to start, you know, moving up faster. Uh, we'll be working on bringing up those legacy workers a little bit faster. We have some commitments from the company to move those legacy employees from the lower tier to the upper tier, but you can still hire in as a second tier worker, right? Go ahead. It's, uh, yeah, legacy is the, the higher tier. The lower tier is transitional. Ah, uh, yes, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter, but I just want to clarify. But but you want to become a legacy worker. You don't want to be the transitional worker, right? And And that's... That's sort of devastating because you, you've won a contract that is essentially the same. And on the one hand, great, because your workers still have excellent health care. They have 
They have great health care. They have good vision. They have good dental. They, the, the legacy workers have good pay, right? Like these things have remained. But the thing that is slowly eroding the union over time, the thing that has worse benefits, and, and frankly, while Kellogg continues to rake in ridiculous amounts of profit, and they say, we can't afford to make all of you legacy employees. Oh, I don't think so. That's my best Monopoly man voice. <laughs> Like, like that is still in the contract. And that to me is, I don't know, I cringe to say a loss, but it is a loss. The contract had wins. Let's not lie about that, right? Like, let's be honest. Yes, we, we maintained the status quo. We didn't lose some of the big things that we really wanted. But the thing that we said over and over again, we wanted gone, that transitional lower tier is still there. And if that's what you fought the strike about, yeah, you learned some lessons. I'm with you, Jason. That's a great thing. Let's let's learn those lessons because let's do this again. <laughs> let's let's make sure to knock them on their asses next time and make sure we get rid of that bullshit. But but until then, you 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 did not have as big of a win as we want as we wanted to. And we can back we can back seat back seat quarterback. Is that the phrase I hear thrown around? Like armchair armchair. Th- Theorists sitting like not out whatever, Back but driver. Um, I believe it's like um, armchair quarterback. You got them all mixed up. Oh, okay, my bad. Or right, whatever. Yeah, I I do what I can. I do what I can to keep things interesting uh, by forgetting half the half the idioms of the, in the American <laughs> standard. Not, it's not rocket surgery, Derek. <laughs> but but I mean but 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 that is that it, that is where we are, right? We. We didn't have the big major piece gone that we wanted gone. And that's that's okay. I, I like maybe we weren't ready for it. Maybe we will be ready for it next time. And and we'll continue and, and they need to continue pushing and rising up against that. More collective struggle, more collective action, abolish the wage system. Where it, it all happens piecemeal. We'll get there eventually. Yeah, I, that's a, a thing that a lot of people I know struggle with is like you know nothing none of this is going to happen tomorrow it's you got to make little victories and then keep those victories and don't let it erode away before you can change everything i mean it took it took decades for uh you know the owning class to to erode all these things that were won previously so i mean it could be it could be taken back quickly but you you need to build up that momentum first and that doesn't just happen overnight that does you know also take maybe decades now the other question i have before we sign off here is if this is the result of the kellogg strike and i know this is not a one to one right so this is like this is this is purely this is just this is pure speculation but i think it's a fun question to ask and that is like this is where we are on Kellogg. How far away are we from pulling off a successful general strike? Somehow I knew that question was coming. <laughs> I actually think I actually think the Kellogg strike shows that we're more ready than we think we are because so many unions showed up outside of the Kellogg's union to support them and the stronger those bonds get or those bonds get the more the more successful a general strike would be. So you know, now the IWW and uh, Kellogg's Battle Creek have, like, a connection. We talk to each other. You know, we're willing to support each other. They know we came up for them. 
hopefully they would come out for us for anything we were doing. And the more we do together, the more we're like, hey, maybe next time we just coordinate. You know, like, hey, we organize this place that delivers in in uh, Battle Creek. You know, maybe we'll shut them down as well. You know what? Let's just, hey, let's talk to this other third union and see what they think. And then, like, coordinate better. You know, yeah. unless you have those connections, a general strike wouldn't work. And we're building those connections. Yeah, I think the, the only way a general, like, I honestly don't see a general strike happening in terms of someone saying, I want to have a general strike and then planning around that. I think it's going to have to happen organically. You have workers in Battle Creek, you have workers in Omaha, you, and you have workers in uh, Ypsilanti, and they all have different reasons for striking, but say, hey, you know, we are going to take some action, you know, in the next couple of months. Um, do you want to do it at the same time? You know, because if you do your strikes at the same time, the scab labor pool is going to be, you know, spread among more, more companies. The, the union busting is going to be spread out among, you know, different, you know, all these resources to counter the strikes are going to be uh, more spread thin. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's benefit to that, um, that, you don't even need to agree necessarily. Uh, you only have to even have similar uh, ends that you're striving for. Um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I see a, a general strike actually materializing uh, if it were to happen. Yeah, I think it will be like we see now, several strikes and unions coming out to support those strikes. And then maybe a coordinated strikes, like you said, you know, like we're all just going to go on strike at the same time. And then from there, we'll be like, hey, that worked really well. I wonder if we have any big demands of not just like companies and like, you know, you know, where we work, but like the actual state. And then we'll start coordinating a more broad general strike to be like, hey, we want health care or, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think that's I, I so that that's that's my big thing, right, is that a general strike, a general strike isn't just going to materialize. A general strike happens around specific demands. And I don't know, it might be like some leftist fantasy that it's going to happen uh, because like we're going to abolish the wage system and overthrow the ruling class. But like realistically, if we're talking about bread and butter issues, what are going to get people, what's getting people riled up right now, go to Reddit's anti-work, go to Reddit's reform work, whatever the hell, wherever we've retreated post Fox, um, uh, you know, you, you, you read, I mean, if you, if you read, if you read, 17 that's not it what's the what's the what's the radical labor teenage teen vogue thank you right like like what are people what are people sick of they're sick of shitty wages they're sick of like billionaires while they struggle paycheck to paycheck they're they're sick of dying sick (laughs) sick of being sick (laughs) they're sick they're sick and tired of being sick and tired right so so like a platform that inspires and has reasonable and I wouldn't even say reasonable, just makes demands that workers want. I, I think that has a reasonable chance of success, but it still requires immense coordination. It requires the relationships you've identified, Jason. It requires it requires people. It requires bodies. Like we're not going to be able to have people that go into work or get second jobs. A general strike isn't 
go become a traveling nurse for a couple of weeks while we strike back here in old Ann Arbor. It is a work stoppage and we are all there. And if we don't have a majority of bodies out there, then I don't know. I don't, I don't see that being successful either. We might end up where BCTGM um, uh, um, found themselves in, where we still have the two tiers, the, the owning class and, and the employee class. So I don't know. They'll, they'll just, just my, just some of my general thoughts on that. All right. I think that's about all we wanted to talk about, unless I'm wrong. Um, so uh, thanks for coming, Lily. Thanks for coming, Derek. Thanks for putting oh, it good on. To be here. Thanks for putting it on, Lily. You, you got this talk yeah. together and talked to Donovan. And um, while well, it was a difficult edit, um, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that, but you know, <laughs> take what I can give you. Yeah, you did great. It was great. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. See ya. And that's the show, folks. It was recorded and edited by me, fellow worker Jason. The intro and outro song are also by me, fellow worker Jason. If you'd like to join the IWW and be part of the One Big Union, go to iww.org join. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns for us, you can always email us at ypsilanti at iww.org. And until next time, an injury to one is an injury to all. <laughs>